Retro Hangover is supported via Patreon by listeners like you. We would especially like to thank patrons Lyle McCarns, Ashton Ruby, Randall Quiggle, Tony G, and Katie Quigg. Your continued engagement and generous donations are deeply appreciated. Open your ears and crack some beers. You are listening to episode 83 of Retro Hangover. Retro and Classic Gamers, welcome to the podcast where we are readily rating retro remembrances repeatedly. This is episode 83 of the Retro Hangover Podcast. I am who some call the Gigolo of Jacksonville, your co-host, Chris Copline, with, as always, your host, Shane. Rose-tinted Dick Koski! Who calls you that? No, nobody, nobody calls you that. I, I would beg to differ. I would beg to differ. Paul Romalo calls me that. Paul Romalo of the Region Free Gamers calls me that. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. All right. I, I guess that's fair. That just reminds me of that song, and I can't for the life of me remember who the artist was now, but it's a classic rock song where... Uh, it's like some call me the gangster of love, and the rest of the band is just like, yeah, no, nobody, nobody calls him that. No one calls him the gangster of love. <laughs> I did not choose this name for myself. It was bequeathed upon me. No, the name me. chose you. Yeah. Yes, it was. It chose me. It was bequeathed upon me uh, from our good friend Paul Romalo of the Region Free Gamers podcast, and I do appreciate it. I'm I'm glad you think of me as your gigolo. You can't buy me though. <laughs> you don't have enough money. Just keep saving, though. Maybe one of these days you can you can afford a plane ticket for me to go up to where you live and I'll be your gigolo for an additional fee as well. But, you know, we're not there yet. You're not there yet. And uh, I'm just not that desperate. For a list of our services, please visit gorpfans.com. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Yes. So. Uh, so, Chris, how, how are you? How have you been? What what have you been up to? You've been you've been playing any of those things that the kids call the the video games? I I have been. Yeah, I completed got the platinum trophy for 13 Sentinels. Mm. And I'm not sure when we're recording it, but like I said last time I'm uh, speaking of the Region for Gamers podcast, I'm going to be doing an episode with them for a deep dive on it. I've also recorded a rapid fire review that should be coming to our patrons here in the near future. But just uh, to give you just a brief summary, yes, it's a good game. I thought it was a good game. It had some it had it's not perfect. It had some issues, of course, ones that I, I couldn't easily overlook. But overall, just because I thought the plot was so good, I'd recommend it to anyone who likes adventure games. But of course, I get a little deeper into it on both uh, occasions. Other than that, I've been playing a game that will be coming out in next episode, our next episode's game because I've never played it before and it's a doozy. It's uh <laughs> it it's something else. Sure is a thing. Uh yeah, I don't want to I don't want to, you know, get too far ahead of ourselves, but it, it's going to make for a good conversation. So make sure you tune in to our next episode in 2 weeks 
for that, which we will have a our our special guest, Seamus, who will be joining us. And maybe maybe I'll get my wife in on it, too. No promises there. I'm not going to promise that. But it's it can happen because she definitely knows more about the subject matter for our next episode way more than I do. That still definitely gets my vote. I, I want her to be on the show and, and act as the Simpsons comic book guy. Yes. She's not going to be yeah. able to really help out at all in the video game aspect. She's just going to be there to check everyone's sanity, I'm sure. How about yourself, man? Yeah. So, okay. I, I have this same problem, really, where... So, in our, in our Discord, um, we have a channel called Currently Playing, where you can talk about the games. You are, uh, you know currently playing yes and i feel like i can never really participate in that conversation all that much because lately most of what i have been playing has just been for upcoming episode content (laughs) so i can't really talk much about it for you know for fear of spoiling anything i guess Mm-hmm. And so I guess I'm looking forward to a little bit later in our recording schedule this year. I think we're going to hit a run of games that I'm more intimately familiar with. So I, I will have some time to play other things that I have sitting around. Like, uh, well, thanks to uh, our lovely patron Ashton's suggestion for the D&D episode we did a little while back. I still I bought a copy of Dark Alliance for my PS2, which is uh, still sitting over there waiting for me to start playing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, thanks to some gift cards and also a holiday sale, I now have another whole batch of games on my Switch that are installed and ready to go that I haven't really touched yet either. But as far as what I have been playing outside of the things I can't talk about, I did uh, finish Trials of Mana as insofar as what I would consider to be finished. I'm not going to do a new game plus or anything, but not going to get the platinum. I I am not. No, yeah, the the platinum that doesn't exist on on a Nintendo platform. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, that's true. But yeah, um, so it I I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like if if I had the time, if I didn't want to move on to playing something else, I definitely would do a new game plus in it. Um, I enjoyed it that much. I will say that. And, uh, so, so that was a good time. Um, I was not expecting the, the epilogue portion of that either. So that, that was kind of a nice little, little bonus there. And then, uh, outside of that, it's not, not really too much other than just the usual. I'm still kind of plinking away at the, the good old Genshin impact a little bit every day. And, uh, and I've been playing Star Wars, the old Republic, uh, with a couple friends of mine, on a fairly regular basis. So I hit level cap with my Republic smuggler um, this past week. So I've been working on getting him geared up and stuff. So, uh, so yeah, I got my, my HK murder droid as my companion. So good times all around. So you're just sticking with those MMOs for now, huh? Kind of. Yeah. Like I, I wouldn't really consider Genshin an MMO necessarily. Um, I only I only have time in my life for like one MMO style game and so that's pretty much Old Republic right now. I, it's what ended up replacing World of Warcraft Classic for me, so. Yeah. And that I could I can understand what you're saying that's hard to really talk about what we're playing. That's kind of like the curse and the blessing of having this extra content valve that we can just kind of dump things into. I don't I don't want to say dump things into because we we put quite a bit of effort into this. <laughs> just throw it into the dumpster. Yeah. 
here, let me just, yeah. let me just, here's some crap peasants. Thank you for your money. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's like I, all the games I have coming up that I'm, that I'm going to be playing. Cause now one thing is now I honestly have to do a queue of games that I have planned because this is a project and this is a project and this is a project on one hand. It's, it's a kind of a pain in the ass, but on the other hand, it's kind of organizing my gaming life, which I think is positive. So I'm not just haphazardly yeah. diving into whatever I look at next and get distracted from where I wanted to go with it. But on the other hand, I can't, these segments are just going to be more dry and it's going to sound more of an advertisement and try to milk, milk money out of people and say, Hey, join our patron Patreon. So you can listen to our stuff. <laughs> yeah. We ain't going to talk about shit here. We no. <laughs> I, I don't even get out of bed for less than a Patreon donation. So. <laughs> Donate. Get just you want to hear our stuff? Give us money. Give us money, and we'll just dump it to the feed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, the things that we do like rapid fire reviews on, like I'll still talk about those because that's not a secret. Like, then there's a chance that like yeah. we're just we may not even talk about it. Like, like will I do an RFR about Dark Alliance when I get around to playing it? Probably, but yeah. that doesn't mean I won't mention it. You know? Absolutely. In any case. We are going to be talking about good games today and only good games because right. this episode the, the best games, tremendous best, games. Yes, that believe me, that's what they that's what they tell me. But these are all <laughs> these are all older games because I, I I'll get into that later. But this is because this is a Patreon poll topic from our right. lovely patron Randall, who suggested this topic and won. And this was the first ever vote that we did. For all the submitted topics. And he won the very first one. And the topic, of course, as you've seen in the title card, is our top five favorite games for each of us. So that'd be 10 games. We're not just going to say, here's the top five for Shane and Chris, because what we realized <laughs> is that we have absolutely nothing in common when it comes to our top five games. I don't even yeah, think that we would, have. That would never happen. Nothing. And, and they're not even, I think even our, our honorable mentions are completely different. Yes, they are. different. Yeah. There's not a single shared game that we nope. we hold to acclaim. Um, and there's no acclaim games either. So that's good. <laughs> Mine are all just LJN games. Top five LJN titles. Of course, they were the best. So, of course, yeah. what, what do we mean by retro games? So if, you, uh, if you're a listener to this podcast and you're listening to it now, well, duh. It means that we are looking at games that are at least 10 years old. So anything going back to early 2011 is on the table to be selected. Well, that means anything after 2011, of course, cannot be. So there are games that I do would put in my top five that are not there because they are more current than 2011. So yeah. I can't go that route. So that that's where we're at. So you're going to be hearing games Earlier than 2011, but I'm seeing in both of our cases, there's games that are much earlier than that, as is probably the case. And that's how nostalgia, you know, that's how nostalgia gets you, is it makes you look back on these things with with high reverence and they lock it in your mind. Of course, nothing can ever be better than when you first experienced. That's true. And then they it, it motivates you to go spend unrealistic amounts of money on eBay for things that mm. that once gave you happiness as a child. Yeah, that wasn't always the case, but of course that started being the case. Yeah, around 2012. Thanks, Obama. Yeah, see, it's all his fault. He he created the retro game <laughs> price surge. That that was his That's fault. That's right. When you said yes, we can, Obama didn't mean raise retro game prices. Damn you! It's all his fault. Any case, we 
flipped a coin at the beginning of the episode, and Shane said I would read the brief history, and I laughed at him because there is no brief history. Did so. I say that? No. God damn it. <laughs> he actually had me thinking there for a moment. I was like, I don't know. I, I don't even know what comes out of my mouth half the time. Maybe maybe I did say that, Shane. Actually, that's, that's a funny thing that you bring up there before we transition into this. I'll have people in the Discord. Ashton does this all the time. He always gets me. He quotes something from the episode that is like, oh, I found this part really funny. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like, <laughs> that was in the episode. I'm like, oh. You're like, yeah, it sure was. Yeah. Glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> I, I Thank don't. you for giving us money. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> We're terrible people. <laughs> Listen, this is why they like us, okay? We might not appeal to, like, a broader audience, but... The, the folks that, that we do appeal to, that we, you know, they, they, they love us for who we are, is what I'm saying. Yeah. So I'll never, I'll never change. It's, it's a problem at home because I don't, my wife is a little more contentious with that person uh, than our patrons are. So maybe I'll just hang out mm. with my patrons more. They, they seem to like me better. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Any case, let's kick this off. What do you say, Shane? Number five. Coming in at my number five favorite retro game of all time is Super Mario Galaxy for the Wii. Mm. Now, you might be asking, why am I not picking Galaxy 2? That's because I haven't played Galaxy 2. So I don't even think Galaxy 2 is over 10 years old anyway. I'm not sure. In any case, why Super Mario Galaxy? Why not Super Mario 64? Um, we all know why I'm not picking Sunshine. You know, why not uh, any of the other Super Mario Brothers? Because this is the only Super Mario Brothers game in my top five. And that's because, first of all, Super Mario Galaxy is a fucking good game. True. It's absolutely fantastic. Probably the, I mean, the best 3D platformer I've ever played. Granted, I haven't played Galaxy 2 or Odyssey, but this, this game just gives me so much joy. And I want to focus on that. And when I say joy, I mean, when I sat down and played this for the first time on my Wii, and I, I can't remember if this was back in 2007 or 2008. But I remember just sitting down and playing this game and feeling the same feeling a kid gets like when I was a kid and getting excited about playing a video game. I hadn't had that feeling in so long. I was just dead on the inside with video game internalized hatred. And I wanted my next scruffy white guy, gray and dirt colored shooter so I could <laughs> go play. You more. Said that, that got dark real fast. Yeah. And I was like, oh, wait, games can be fun again. And that's I don't it's more about the feeling that Super Mario Galaxy gave me when I when I play it, when I played it and when I continue to play it, it just it puts a smile on my face and coupled with the gameplay, because I really do think it's it's a much better technical game than Super Mario 64 is as well. I don't and it should be. It's, you know, almost 20 years older than it. Right. Um, well, 15 yeah. years old. I, 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 I would hope so. Yeah. Yeah. It should be a better game. It is a better game, and it definitely gives me the feels. It gave me the feels as a new game. I, I can't I can't laud it enough as a 3D platformer. Yeah, and I think that's, I mean, that just by and large, I think that's Nintendo's, like, that, to me, like, that that's their niche. That is their service to the world, is that while the rest of the, the AAA publishers and, and, you know, those kind of folks are out there trying to push the push the, the the pixels with the ray tracing and the boom boom guns that go bang 
mm-hmm. we can always count on Nintendo to just be like, but what if you just had a fun little romp with some colorful like creatures? What about yep. that? And I'd be like, you know what? I feel you, Nintendo. Oh, yeah. And it didn't rely too much on the wiggle physics. Uh, That's a huge fucking plus, yes. Even though you could use the wiggle physics and um, you could use the Wiimote, obviously, because they were going to do that. Uh, Rosalia is a character. I don't know if I care too much about it. Um, she's a good character. A lot of people do like her. I I don't care much about the characters in a Mario game. I'm sorry. Just not my thing. Uh, the Lufas, the, I don't know. They're not called Lufas, are they? The star characters. <laughs> I'm calling them Lufas. Yeah. The, yes. The, 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 the things you take to the bath. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know they're not called Lufas. Let me look this up real quick. So don't sound they like, like Lumos or something. Lumas. Lumas. Yeah. Lumas. Lumas, they're, they're cute and they're adorable and you feed them and they become fat. And they give you unlock new stuff. So everything there, everything that is there is there and everything there makes me happy and make, give me the warm, warm feelings in my tum tum. And I'm just so, yes. <laughs> well, I think what's great about this is that like right off the bat, our number fives could not be possibly nope. more different. <laughs> <laughs> So Chris was just like, this is one I just really like because it gives me all the warm, fuzzy feelings inside. And then my number five is Silent Hill 2. <laughs> yeah, that makes you feel uh-huh. happy. It, it does. Well, it does for me, but like <laughs> not in the same way at all. Um, so, you know, out, out of the whole Silent Hill franchise, if I was going to pick something... It would definitely be from one of the first three, the original sort of like trilogy. But out of those three, even two is, in my opinion, and this is not like a hot take at all, probably by and large the best one. And frankly, probably one of the best, you know, sort of survival horror games ever made. And the thing for me that and this is the reason that it's on my top five is uh, it, it was the first game that I can recall playing that truly showed me that video games could be actually unsettling. Whereas, you know, it, it's not like I didn't play games before that were like, quote unquote, scary or had, you know, jumps in them or whatever. Uh, you could argue that, you know, some, well, actually, actually some of the games that are going to come later on my list probably have some horror elements in them to be sure but yeah. uh the the big difference here is that silent hill 2 just is makes this like real expert use of the sort of slow burn psychological horror to to tell the story that it tells about harry mason and how he has this you know a more emotionally tortured sort of individual who's working through this trauma and this guilt that he has residually from what happened with his wife and his part that he played in that and how that manifests by the town like in physical creatures and it's just it was a whole different level that i had never experienced before and it's sort of the same logic that i apply to horror movies as well i i enjoy horror movies but i'm not one of those people that are like super into a lot of the you know like 80s slasher flicks and i don't hold anything against the people that are because like i totally get it right like Mm -hmm. the main antagonists from those movies are incredibly iconic you know you get like freddy or jason or what have you and and i get it but to me those are always very formulaic and kind of boring in in a way like i i knew what i was 
getting into with those movies and it never really deviated much. And so the big difference there is something like even even something like The Ring, which is not even super psychological, but it's it's how it approaches its horror elements and that it's all very subdued and sort of underneath the surface of things. And then it slowly ramps that up as, you know, the, as the movie progresses. And it's the same thing with Silent Hill 2. And uh, yeah, it was just something that left a huge impact on me. And it's one of the, one of the games that caused me to do a very deep dive into like the lore behind it, where a lot of games or game series don't do that for me. But this was definitely one of them. Yeah, and and Silent Hill 2 is definitely a landmark game in survival horror or just horror games in general. Mm-hmm. It's it's probably not the first game to do the kind of psychological horror that it, it aims to do because I believe I Have No Mouth and I Must Scream went for that type of horror vibe yes, uh, much before absolutely. Silent Hill 2 did. Mm-hmm. But Silent Hill 2 brought it to a much more mainstream audience. And this is not the kind of game that the mainstream audience should be getting because this is the kind of game that you can do a deep dive. You can do like a bachelor's level thesis on the meanings behind every single thing in this game. You could probably make an entire college course dedicated to this games and the meanings of the enemies and uh, what James is thinking. Mm -hmm. Um, Even though you said Harry. Oh, I did say Harry, didn't I? Yes, you did. (laughs) That's left over from our Silent Hill episode. Which was my fault there. But um, (laughs) when I called him Henry. But um, yeah, Silent Hill 2 is definitely worth all the um, all the praise it gets. And it's it's just one of those games that if if you really want to get your mind working, I could definitely see this being a top five game for anybody. Number four. Okay, my number four is a game that pretty much started my entire um, dive into what's a word for uh, depravity. That's the word. Great. Yes. Debauchery. Debauchery, not depravity. Debauchery, I didn't start doing bad things because of this game. It's more I didn't do anything other than play this game. And Ah. that was Final Fantasy Tactics for the PlayStation 1. And it's not like I hadn't played video games prior to Final Fantasy Tactics. Of course I had, because if my first video game was Final Fantasy Tactics, that'd be fucking wild. No one has no one makes Final Fantasy Tactics the first game you ever played. It's like one of those niche titles. (laughs) It's never going to be anyone's first game. But the way you conducted battles on an isometric grid, of course, that was nothing new. But the class system and how you could change your characters and the amount of flexibility that you had with your party and the angsty story about essentially how you have to go kill Jesus. That was something that really applied to me as it appealed to me as a teenager. It didn't apply to me because I, I didn't kill really? Jesus. Killing Jesus. Okay. <laughs> but that appealed to me as a teenager, you know, an angsty rebellious against against the system teenager that, you know, grew up in a very religious area, so to speak. Sure. So. This was just one of those games that I, I deeply loved. It was it is a very deep and complex game, or at least it can be, but it's not overly complex to the point of what you were getting out of like a fallout or just, you know, strategy games that you would get on the PC. It was the perfect complexity for a console game player. When you look at other strategy RPGs that were more well known at the time, 
specifically Shining Force and, you know, the Shining Force series, because that's really the only one I can really think of. There's also Vandal Hearts, but I don't think a lot of people played that. But Final Fantasy Tactics was definitely the step forward the strategy RPG genre needed, or at least a lot of people liked and appreciated. I haven't gone back to this game a lot uh, over the years, just because once I know I start playing it, I'm not going to start. I'm not going to stop. And, you know, that that for me is a mark of a good it is a mark of a good game because I know this game will just, you know, drag me down into a deep pit of addiction. (laughs) The characters and plot, like I said today, I probably would just kind of roll my eyes at because I kind of did when I played Ogre Battle 64, which had a lot of similar plot notes to it. Mm -hmm. And it's it's very it's very idealistic, somewhat cringy, even but in a in a weird way is still somewhat relevant today, you know, because it starts out as a game of uh, in the game. The plot starts out essentially as a uh, plot of of class warfare. Essentially, the rich are rich and the poor are poor and the poor are trying to take something back from the rich. And that's that's also another plot point that appeals that 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 appeals to me now. It appealed to me then. And maybe it's not handled the best way. Of course, it's not. It's a video game. But it's always those plot points that I can kind of cling to and be like, oh, OK, this is pretty cool. So I love it. Yeah, that was uh, that. Well, we had talked about that one before. I, I, um, my my entry into that was the the advanced version of that. So I keep like, and I need to get some time for it. But again, this goes back to us talking about the fact that all of our gameplay time is for future episode content. <laughs> but yeah, some point I need to actually go back and like legitimately play through uh, the 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 OG FF tactics because. I I sunk a, a stupid amount of time into Tactics Advance, and I loved the hell out of that game. And I just have not, I have not given the original, I think, the fair shake that it deserves. So I'm hoping I can get around to that at some point. Yeah, and if you do, I I if there's a Steam version, I go with that. I'm not sure what it came out on. I think the War of the Lions translated translated version came out on mobile, and that may be the best version. Because the well, PSP I had version looked has into it. crazy loading times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was going to say, I, I had looked into it, and um, I actually think I started playing the PSP version, like emulated, though. Um, right. And that was, it seemed to be fine, because I think based on what I read about it, I think that that might have been one of the, the better versions as far as like what was included in it or whatever. But, mm-hmm. but at any rate, um, plus I just don't really want to play tactics on a mobile device. <laughs> I can, I can understand that completely. Yeah. I don't want to play really anything on a mobile device. Um, so my number four, um, at least is a little bit more similar to yours this time. So, you know, we're, 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 we're bridging the gap slightly. Uh, mine is Legend of Zelda, the Ocarina of Time for the N64. I know, of course, Chris does not particularly like this game at all, but that's what I, I've said. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm sticking with, though. But I, uh, man, I played this game so much, so much when I and and that's sort of a byproduct, right, of an era when you are a child and you own like six games and so you just kind of play what you had and uh which is not to take away from the quality of of ocarina because overall i think it is an excellent game but uh i i think and i don't have an exact number but i know that i played this game from start all the way to 
defeating Ganon and completing it at least five or six times back in the day, possibly more. Uh, I just enjoyed it that much. And that was, of course, back when I had the time on my hands to friggin do that kind of a thing. Uh, and, and it was done without, you know, the Internet, without guides, without a, you know, prima strategy guide, nothing. It was just learning new things every time I played through it, which, of course, to uh, 35 year old me now is insane. But, you know, again, uh, oh, to be a child once more, I suppose. But uh, mm-hmm. technically speaking, this was actually my first Zelda game that I really, truly played uh, because I never owned Link to the Past for my Super Nintendo for whatever reason. I don't know how that worked out. And I didn't own any previous Zelda titles. I had I never had the NES entries. And I don't think, and I could be misremembering the timeline here slightly, but I do not believe I played any of the Game Boy Zelda games until I had already played Ocarina. So... This is going to be a running theme for my top five list anyway, is that a lot of these that I have on here, part of what makes them so important to me is that they were the first of something um, mm-hmm. in, in, my, in my gaming life. And so to me, Ocarina of Time was really my first, I'm going to call it an open world game. I know by modern standards, that's not accurate at all, but if you put yourself back in, you know, the late nineties when this came around, you know, this was the advent of, you know, 3d polygonal games for, for console. And up until this point, any other games that I had played had either been, you know, super Nintendo or Genesis at a friend's house or PC games, um, which were nothing like this. And so, part of what grabbed me about this game was just how big it felt going from, you know, the starting area in the Kokiri forest. And as soon as you, you know, step out into the wider world, of course, after you finish talking to that bastard owl, you get out into Hyrule field and it just like opens up in front of you. And as a kid, I was just like, holy shit, this game is huge. I could go anywhere. Like, What's that over there? That's a ranch. I'm going to check that out. Look, that's Hyrule Castle and that big ass mountain over there that looks like a volcano. And there was it was just mind blowing at the time. Now, of course, now we have Ubisoft style games out the ass. So giant maps that take you like three actual days to traverse or like nothing new or whatever. But back then, this was a big deal. Um, and so, yeah, this man, this just... Uh, this has a special place for me, and and it's one of those ones that I am definitely the the rose tinted dick dragon in that <laughs> I will overlook some of the flaws like that are objectively a part of this game just because of like how big it was to me like at that time. I'm honestly shocked this game isn't higher on your list. I, well, I'm that's because the other shocked. ones are 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 even more important in my opinion. Yeah. I, I I looked at them. It's it's hard to say which one I would see you putting it above. Yeah, uh, I think I could probably see this in your three slot, considering your love for the other two. But yeah, I'm genuinely shocked. And this is a game I did appreciate too as a kid. Not as not as much as Shane did, obviously. I mean, I did when it first came out, but my uh, my rose tinted glasses came off this game pretty quick. <laughs> I think that's just because 
I went to the PlayStation. I, I mean, I play started playing more on the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that it wasn't that I thought that Ocarina is a bad game. I was just playing games that were more my style. We're, we're better. I didn't say better. I mean, I'm, <laughs> I, I would argue that they're better, but I wouldn't oh. say better. They were just they're just more my style. Like, I'd rather play Metal Gear Solid than uh, Legend uh, Ocarina of Time. Yeah, I, I just I'd rather do it. And that's not taking anything away from Ocarina. I'm just saying I had I found it more amusing and more enjoyable. That's fair. But absolutely, this was the N64's like killer app. This is what moves systems. This is what got people to buy gold cartridges. And there are gamers that will say this is the best game ever made to this day. So, yeah, it's absolutely no shock that that it doesn't. Yeah, it's absolutely no shock that it belongs here. Number three. This one for me took me a long time to really warm up to. And that game is Final Fantasy IV. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this game is on everything. It's, it's really hard for me to say which version really solidified this being my favorite Final Fantasy. And on this list, the, my third re- best retro game ever. My third favorite retro game ever. And that's because, you know, when I played this on the Super Nintendo, I really did love it. I really did enjoy it. But back when it's Final Fantasy 2, I was always saying, oh, Final Fantasy 6 is, well, Final Fantasy 3 then. But that is the best game ever made, uh, best RPG ever made. And what I found with Final Fantasy 4 is every time I went back to it, I enjoyed it more and more and more. It was just there wasn't really anything I could really fault it on. It has a very basic and simple plot, and it has a very dynamic battle system that was, you know, the first of its kind with the active active time battle. Mm-hmm. But it's 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 also extremely linear. You have very rigid ways that you can construct your party because you're not constructing your party. You're, the game is telling you what your party is going to be, and that's that's part of the linearity. And while a lot of people might be saying that's something they don't want because they want the flexibility to maximize out their party, that's something. I learned to appreciate is working within the limitations the game gives you to figure out how best to to get to victory. And I, that's just something I think I've learned to love about it is it's a story. You're playing a story. You're playing uh, the story of the protagonist, Cecil, as he you know goes from being a dark knight to a paladin to ultimately fulfilling a weird prophecy. But all the characters around him are are very well developed for an early 90s RPG. It's not, again, it's not the first one. I think Dragon Warrior 4 did it first. But I just think Final Fantasy 4 does it right. If you're into retro games, if you're into the retro aesthetic, and you're into not like 3D polygons, and you can and you can tolerate 16-bit graphics, like this would be the game I would tell people to play for their first Final Fantasy. And like Final Fantasy 10 would be the other one. But there's just something about this game, the fact that you can digest this in less than 30 hours, the fact that its pacing is almost perfect, the fact that it gives you a challenge without being total bullshit. It's 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 just one of those games that every single time I play it, I know I've said this before, but every single time I play it, I find a new reason to love it. And I, I'll and I'll I'll freely say this is probably not technically the best Final Fantasy ever made, but God damn it is my favorite. And that's all that matters. No, I mean, exactly. that's that's and that for me, too, that's one of the big selling points is the sort of like, well, relatively speaking, the compact package that it offers, right? If it's something that you mm-hmm. can finish in like 
under 30 hours for a JRPG at that time, especially, is somewhat of a rarity. And you can quote, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure at the time that was probably something that people pointed out as a negative. Not at that time, because this was in the early 90s. That was about average. You weren't at the big scoping, sprawling 60, 70 hour games yet. That was more in the mid to late 90s. Yeah, gotcha. Okay. It wasn't really a knock yet. Well, I definitely can appreciate it more now. Oh, absolutely. Well, people didn't like RPGs in 1991 in America. <laughs> they were too busy playing Contra. Uh, I feel like that was a personal attack. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. Well, my number three um, is quite different, but uh, it is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4 Turtles in Time and mm. definitely not Hyperstone Heist. No. Uh, yeah, no at all. Man, so, I mean, this was probably apparent in the episode that we did on this game fairly recently, but, uh, yeah, there's a reason that this is, like, number three on my list, and potentially could have been higher if it weren't for the the other two that just I, I had to put there. I know this game back to front. I know it like the back of my hand. I have played it far more times than I could possibly count, and... And even outside of that, I mean, granted, listen, let's be real. The thing that got me in the door with this game was the fact that it's the Ninja Turtles, okay? I have not ever made any bones about the fact that I was and still am, though probably to a slightly lesser extent now, a huge fan of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And um, that was like a giant piece of my childhood and uh so that's what got me in the door but then fortunately enough for me this also turned out to be quite possibly one of the best side-scrolling beat-em-up games that has ever been made so that's a win-win and um man uh, we we said it in the episode but there's there's just so many things i could say about this the controls are are tight it's fun to play it feels good to play it's a real compact experience where if you if you get good at it, you can finish the thing in what did we what did we do it in like 25 minutes, 27 minutes, yeah, like, something like that. It was really quick. It was under half an hour. Yeah. And um, easily you get in, you get out, you enjoy your time with it. And just the sprite work is amazing. The the levels that they added to the Super Nintendo version um, and, and the content that they sort of restructured in there was done in such an intelligent way and it really just adds to the overall game's appeal. I, I will go on record as saying that I still believe that the Technodrome boss battle against Shredder is one of my favorite boss fights of like any game ever, just with like how ingenious it was leveraging that throw mechanic that was in the game. I just think it was fucking brilliant not to mention that giant sprite of sp like shredder is just fantastic but yeah man not not enough good things that i can i can say about this game it's just it's a good time like all the way through and, and the music is killer as well yeah it's it's not bad for a battletoads ripoff i'll <laughs> i'll say you, that i will quit this show right now <laughs> but no every everything shane said i pretty much agree with this is this is a top tier beat em up and it's going to I'm going to kind of mention it in uh, my number one game, which I don't want to give into. But it's just the difficulty here is is perfect. It might be mm -hmm. a little on the easy side for for more experienced game players, 
but this is a game that anyone can pick up and just have a good time. And especially as I have gotten older, that's something I appreciate more and more in a video game. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so it's one of those things that makes Turtles in Time a very endearing game. It should have been in my honorable mentions, but it's not there because it's on your list. Uh, it just and this is a, this was made at a time when Konami was king, and this is how you do a licensed game right. This is probably the best licensed game ever made, to my to my knowledge. And this is I just that's just off the top of my head. I can't think of another one. I'd be like, yeah, that game is better. No, this is probably the best licensed game ever made in the history of video games. And if you disagree with me, I'd love to hear your opinions. But you know, come at me. <laughs> Number two. Hey, guess what? What? Shocker. It's another Squaresoft game. Wow. I did not (laughs) expect this turn of events. Three, three, three RPGs, three (laughs) RPGs, three RPGs. Yeah. By the same company. It's it's a real shocker here, people. I know I'm, (laughs) I'm really I'm really shocking you. And you know what's even more shocking? I'm going to, you know what? I'm just going to pick a really obscure game that no one who loves RPGs ever talks about okay, to great. the point of near obsession. Yeah, let's hear They never it. talk about this game. Yeah. I'm sure no one has heard about it. It's a game called Trono, Chrono Trigger. Ah, uh, yes. Okay? Trono Trigger. Yep. Yes. Have not Chrono heard of Trigger. that one. <laughs> Don't make fun of my inability to speak. <laughs> Damn it. But it's it's Chrono Trigger. What, what can I say about Chrono Trigger that other people haven't the the graphics are gorgeous they're beautiful the plot is is charming the characters are charming they're endearing you care about them uh the time travel mechanic works and that's a real hard plot mechanic to to make work because a lot of people just screw it up and they somehow make it seamless uh not to mention the music the soundtrack to this game is sublime it's unimaginable how good this soundtrack is for for a super nintendo game and it's 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 always make me made me wonder for rpgs is this a better soundtrack between um this and final fantasy 6 because those oh Mm. god it's probably i would say for many people and of course just go on the internet and look up fucking chrono trigger and every person who loves jrpgs will have this somewhere in their list of all-time greats if not at the very top and for JRPGs, this is at the very top of mine. And again, just like Final Fantasy IV, it took some time for me to admit that. It took me a couple times to go back and play it to finally say, yeah, I'm an idiot. This is definitely better than Final Fantasy VI. It's just <laughs> an overall better put together package. And it goes back to exactly what I said about Final Fantasy IV. You can go and you can beat this game in under 30 hours, but it will feel like a lot longer for the good reasons like you'd be like man that game was so long but i had a great time the entire way through it's like no it's 30 hours like wow that felt longer like i put in a lot more time i was way more invested that's that's and that's special that's something that's special that you don't get in video games too often the non-linearity in terms of how to complete side quests the multiple different endings uh the very emotional nostalgia uh, charged spots in this game that uh, that are just almost pulled off to perfection for a 16-bit RPG and even better than a lot of RPGs you can get nowadays. Chrono Trigger is at the very top of any JRPG list and it should be and I love it 
And man, I hope we do an episode on this someday because I don't know if Shane has played it all the way through. I think you have, but it's just it's it's special. There is no other way to put it. And I will give it the the I will join into the universal chorus of acclaim when it comes to Chrono Trigger. And once again, not made by acclaim. <laughs> well, uh, I hate to burst your bubble there, but this is actually as, as far as this game being on the top of people's lists, this is pretty far up on the top of my list of uh, gamer shames in that I have not played this game. I've played it for like maybe 20 minutes one time. So uh, I should I should probably do that at some point. <laughs> now, now it's going to be you get it overhyped because everyone has just just showered praise on this game forever. And this it's like now God tier. You're going to play it and like yeah, it's, it's OK. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably it's like I never I never could get hands on it like when I was younger because no one I knew like owned a copy or if they did, they certainly weren't letting anybody borrow it. So I, I actually, I own a physical copy of it. I own the, the, the handheld Damn. version. I, I can't remember if it's, what was it? That's GBA or some shit. I don't DS. know. DS. DS. Okay. So I have it. I just like, haven't played it. So, <laughs> but yeah, I will on steam the, someday. The steam version is bad. I mean, they made, I mean, they made a lot of changes, but the steam version is, is not very good. Oh no, the no. DS version is probably the best way to play it. Yeah, well, that's what I heard. So, you know, it's it's there it's sitting on my shelf. Just got to get around to it. And it's less than 30 hours. Yeah. Well, you know what's way less than 30 hours and something I've definitely played a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Doom, baby. Oh, oh, my God. Yeah, I'm uh all about that. That ripping in the Terran knee deep in the dead, yo. Like, oh, this game was like and probably for better or worse frankly if i'm if i'm being like honest about this but <laughs> doom was uh i'm going to say like a very formative game for me so this was one of the first ones that i owned on the 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 first family pc that we ever bought um sat in the living room of our house i was a windows 95 machine and i remember going to uh well what was the equivalent of a Sam's Club at that time? I believe it was BJ's Wholesale Club or something like that. And they had the Doom collection with like the Master Levels extra disc and then Doom 1 and Doom 2 in a big box set. And it was like on sale for like uh, probably 10 bucks or something. And I ended up picking that up and... uh that was it was the beginning of a beautiful thing. I had played a little bit of Doom before that because I got my hands on the free shareware version of it. I would imagine that most people listening to this show know what shareware is because we're all old enough to remember that. Um, it doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, no, no. Um, so I'm sure that there are some folks that have no fucking clue what that is. Just go. You know what? Go Google it. It'll be a gaming history lesson for you. You're welcome. Um, but that was actually kind of my introduction into FPS games. Uh, cause I can't really recall anything that I would have played before that because I, I didn't play Wolfenstein 3d until like after this and I didn't, hadn't played much of anything else. I didn't play like Duke Nukem 3d or anything like that. So this was really my, my entry into FPS games and not that I'm a huge FPS guy anyway, but this also coincidentally kind of set a standard for me for FPS games that has been pretty hard to match ever since then. 
there are some that do other things well. Like at some point we are going to talk about like the OG Call of Duty and its brilliant single player campaign, um, as well as like, you know, Medal of Honor and things like that. And there are games like that that do that well, where they tell like a really great story, but also happen to be an FPS. But this game was less about the story and more about just the amazing gameplay. And that's kind of the standard that was set for me. It's just, it's something that you can go back to even now and just have a fucking blast with it. And, and that's no pun intended, but, and you, and even, especially today, now you can throw in like the, the HD mods on that thing, get it in like full, like widescreen with like updated graphics and like, it just, man, it's still such a fucking fun game. And it was like, it was almost tailor-made for me because if you know anything about like the main dudes that were behind id software at the time and this game, then you know that like Carmack and Romero were basically just a couple of like metalhead nerds who wanted to make like a kick-ass like game about killing demons. And that's exactly what they did. And that shit was like right up my alley. And I, I cannot recommend the original Doom and Doom 2 enough to anybody who is into, you know, first person shooters or things like that, because if you're one of those like Call of Duty dudes and you have not ever played Doom, you're doing yourself a disservice because it's one of the best damn first person shooters that have ever been made. And I would argue that I, for a lot of reasons, I don't think it's been topped. Um, for what it does. Uh, yeah, that's, I think you make a good point for what it does. The, the frantic frenetic kind of gameplay mm-hmm. that you get in that, in that style. I mean, it's definitely a, a marked jump over Wolfenstein 3d. It's a much, much better game than Wolfenstein Absolutely. 3d, which, which did it first. And even as someone who's, who's definitely not into doom as much as you are. And we, we had an episode on this. Uh, so go back and listen to that. where We do talk about doom. It's a little older at this point, but this is a game you can easily pick up and play and enjoy. And it's a harder game, but even if you have a bad skill level like me with it, because I'm not very familiar with it and I just suck at first-person shooters anyway, I can enjoy it and I can appreciate it. And that's, like I've been saying, that's a mark of a good game. If you can go in there and just have a good time. And you can do that with Doom. Not so much with every other first-person shooter, as you've heard my opinions about that with Halo. And I'm pretty sure if we go into a Call of Duty game, it'll it'll probably be similar there as well. So, yeah, Doom, in terms of what's presenting to you, I can see that perspective. I could probably see a lot of arguments from the people who played like Quake. I could a couple of those other games. I could, too. Quake Uh, almost made my list, too, by the way. But yeah, but those people aren't here today. So fuck. fuck. (laughs) I I will also throw out there real quick that um, uh, the serious Sam series of games also comes fairly close or at least a lot closer than a lot of other games um in that same like just yeah there's a story but also we're just going to throw you into this insane paced you know first person combat um they mm-hmm. they they also pull that off really well so before we get to our number ones yes. we have some honorable mentions we're just going to throw out there we do we're not gonna I, I don't know if you can say whatever you want to about them i'm not going to tell you not to but I'm just going to be really brief. So here are my honorable mentions, games that almost made this list. They're not my top five, but I can I can go on about them for, for days anyway. So I'll just be really brief here. 
Uh, starting out with Sonic 3 and Knuckles for the Sega Genesis with the lock-on technology. Not Sonic 3, not Sonic and Knuckles. No, it has to be Sonic 3 and Knuckles because okay. it, it just does. No other way for me to make honorable mentions. Uh, Castlevania Symphony of the Night. Of course, I love mm. that game. It's all-time great. It was really hard for me not to put it on this list, but uh, just just didn't make it. Mega Man X, probably the best Mega Man game ever, and I still have a blast with this to this day. Uh, Super Mario World, best 2D Super Mario game. You can hate me all you want to. It's better than three. Three didn't allow you to save. Super Mario World does. Yeah, what? No. Who? Fuck. No. Fuck that. Like I, that there are a few hills that I will die on, but that's one of them. Super Mario World is definitely better than three. I don't oh, way care better. what anybody says. Way better. And I'm just saying it from a save from the ability to save. Super Mario Brothers three is way too long to just sit down in front of a TV and play today. I know a lot of people are going to hate me for saying that, but. You know what? I think you're wrong. And <laughs> Super Mario World proves my thesis because they allow you to save in that game. So they knew that they made a game that was too long, too, especially if your key feature is fucking warp whistles in order to reclaim your progress. <laughs> Thank you for There's coming a to problem. our gaming TED Talk. All right. <laughs> Moving on from that, uh, just two more. Lunar Eternal Blue for the Sega CD is a little bit more of an obscure one, but anyone who's played any of the Lunar series... Uh, you know you love them. They're they're a great game. I prefer the Sega CD version over the PlayStation version just because there are some things like being able to upgrade your magic you can do in the Sega CD version you can't do in the PlayStation version, even though you don't have to spend a currency to save in the PlayStation version. Still, prefer the Sega CD. Fantastic game. Way ahead of its time. Great game. And, of course, Galaga, which is one of the few games, is actually the only game on this list, which I did not play when it came out because I was not born yet. <laughs> but any single time I go to an arcade, I have to play a round of Galaga. It just has to happen. And I love it. That's fair. That's fair. Uh, yeah. So you there's a couple on your honorable mentions that had that could have been contenders for um, my top five or or at least my honorable mentions as well uh especially super mario world i actually had a hard time not including that on my list mm -hmm. because that was also one that i enjoyed the hell out of and it's 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 actually one of the very few mario games that i will still go back and like replay today mm -hmm. but for my honorable mentions uh this was really hard guys i just i just want to put that out there that it is super difficult to make a top five list for these kind of things because yes. there's a bunch of stuff that I like want to talk about. And I, on some level, I kind of almost feel bad about not including some of these, uh, but he doesn't because he doesn't want to edit a two hour episode that, yeah, that that's objectively. Yes. That's the answer. So, uh, my honorable mentions are world of Warcraft. That actually was originally my number five spot. And I swapped it out for silent Hill two because I just, I feel like if I'm going to have a top five, it has to be on there. But World of Warcraft was like my damn close sixth, let's say. And that is just because I put more hours of my life into that game than I think any other game I have ever played ever. And the vast majority of those hours I thoroughly enjoyed. Uh, again, wow was my first mmo i didn't get into everquest or any of those other ones prior to it and so that being the thing that exposed me to this like crazy persistent online world that felt like it was living was just insane to me and it hooked me harder than anything i think i've ever played um so that one's very close i've also got dark souls on there because that now qualifies as a retro game and oh fuck we're old 
Yes. I've got Contra 3 because that was another Super Nintendo title. It's it's right there with Turtles in Time as one of the other like SNES games that a lot of people consider to be hard that I just played the shit out of so I can beat fairly easily, um, which apparently is a thing. I didn't know that, but we talked about that before. So, you know, check that out. And uh, I got Half-Life on there too because that is an incredibly important FPS just in general, but also to me but for very, very different reasons than Doom. Like uh, Chris was saying, Doom does the fast frenetic really well, and then Half-Life, in my opinion, does the like actually telling a story and building out this sort of like world around it um, extremely well, especially for the time. And then finally, um, I've got GoldenEye on there because that was just such a fixture in the, the gaming space for uh, myself and my friends at the time, we spent so many like sleepovers with an N64 and four controllers just shooting and slapping the shit out of each other in GoldenEye 64 that I, again, it could have been in my top five list, but it, it was very close. So, so those are mine. And I've seen this guy play GoldenEye at just casual retro meetups and he just slays people i almost i almost like, won that competition too it wasn't like he was just like, i haven't played this in like 10 years i don't think we're gonna do too well and he just mows down the competition it's all gone <laughs> those those damn like, oh. kids don't know about the golden eye <laughs> i still got it i guess yeah yeah well, yeah <laughs> number one Hey, Shane, if yeah. you've noticed, I mean, is this, this is going to be pretty obvious what I'm going to pick here, right? So I've, I've had four games on Nintendo systems mm-hmm. Yep, and three games that have been JRPGs. So I got this so, has to be a, a Nintendo JRPG, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. My number one game, mm-hmm. favorite retro game, my number one favorite retro game is Quest 64. Hell yes. That's what I am no, talking about. Actually, no, it's not. Duh. Oh, shit. It is not Quest 64. In fact, it's not a JRPG, and it's not what? on a Nintendo system. It is Streets of Rage 2 for the Sega Genesis is my favorite retro game and favorite game ever made. And you might be asking, and that's why we're on a podcast, because you're wondering why. You might be asking why. <laughs> like, Why no, is this your favorite game, care. Chris? Actually, you probably don't in in general, but now because you're listening to this, you are curious. Too late. Anyway, now I'm here to tell you, look, this was the very first Genesis game I had. It's not the first Genesis game I played. I got a Genesis after I got a Super Nintendo back when Genesis and, of course, Super Nintendo and the, the Sega Genesis were just going head to head. It was the console wars. That's right. So, like, the prices for the Genesis started going down because, of course... They started beating the absolute snot of Nintendo in terms of market shares and systems sold. So this is one of the bundles that I'm now hearing was relatively rare that the Sega Genesis came with Streets of Rage 2 and a controller called the Megafire, which had turbo switches on it. This came with the console and it was called like the fighting bundle or something like that. So this was the very first creative marketing Sega. Good job. I know, right? Well, this was this was before. I think Streets of Street Fighter 2 really took off or they really knew how to define a fighting genre. It wasn't called a beat-em-up back then. Yeah. So, you know, you have this game 
And, you know, I would play this all the time with friends. It would just be the go-to co-op game whenever we would be playing Sega. You know, I, I, I love Sonic, and uh, that's pretty much the only Sega game I remember playing with a lot of fondness. But then it came to Streets of Rage 2. And I, it's, it's another game that I would repeatedly go back to. And I would play it by myself. And I would have a good time. And... I noticed the further and further away I got from being a retro gamer, uh, I mean, a current gamer, I guess, because we all go through that period. And like I said, retro games took off really about 2000. What'd you say about really took off in about 2012? That's when they really took off and they started to take off around 2006, 2007 when the Wii came out with the virtual console. Mm -hmm. The thing was, is that no matter what era of gaming it was, no matter where I was in terms of gaming, Streets of Rage 2 would just be something I would naturally go back to because you can beat it in under an hour. It's a beat em up. Of course you can. And there was just something about that game. If you look at it, the game is like the personification of what everybody thought the cities were like in the early 90s. It's <laughs> it's dark. It's grimy. Uh, the, the characters like uh, you have Axel. He's he's wearing a white T-shirt and jeans and he has a like band around his head. Um, you have Blaze who's wearing a mini skirt and, you know, it's just very, very late 80, early 90s kind of design. You have Skate, which is the kid on, on rollerblades. And I don't know if any of you remember this. I'm sure you do. But rollerblades were the fucking shit. Hell in yeah. The early 90s. Everybody had rollerblades. So Skate was awesome because Skate had rollerblades. <laughs> and then you had you have Max, who's just this giant hulking, bruising wrestler. Of course, wrestling big in the early 90s and coupled out with the fact these sprites were gorgeous. They looked better than almost any beat em up sprite on the Super Nintendo. And Sega didn't have the, the the amount of colors you could put on a screen that the Super Nintendo did. But somehow when you look at the sprites for Streets of Rage 2, they are just absolutely gorgeous. They are light years ahead of what they were putting out with Streets of Rage 1. And I, I still think that they look better than any of the final fight games that came out on the Super Nintendo. That and each one of the characters plays distinctly different. They are they all control differently. They all have different methods to how to master them. I still haven't completely figured out how to play as Max just because he's a slow and bruising character. But for me, that's that's not my play style. So they it all conforms to a different play style. You like to play fast and uh just kind of faster, you got skate. You want to play balanced, you got blaze. You want to you know, be more on the power side, but not as not as mobile, you go with Axel. And no matter what the combination is, especially when you play co-op, you can figure out a way to play. That and the difficulty is fair. It's challenging, but it's fair. You, you don't I don't find games like Final Fight or Double Dragon or um even Streets of Rage 1 and the Streets of Rage 3 that they brought over to America. Um, not the Japanese version, bare knuckle three is a little bit more manageable, but they, the objective is to punish you. The objective is to chew up your quarters. And that's a lot of the home ports got that streets of rage Two felt like it was made for a console audience made. Like you could play it. And once you got good enough, it was, it's almost relaxing. Couple that with an amazing soundtrack from Yuzo Koshiro, probably one of the best composers of the 16 bit era and beyond. And it's just one hell of a game that just, I think, encapsulates nostalgia, goes right for the retro feels because you know, this is this is a game right up the retro alley that 
you get into it because it's it's short, it's quick, and it hits that spot. It is just in my in my mind, as I already said, this is the greatest game for me ever made. One because you know nostalgia first and foremost, but I I still haven't played a beat 'em up that gets the whole package. And I know a lot of people are like, well, what about games like River City Ransom, which are essentially RPG beat 'em ups? Mm. <sighs> I think I think sometimes simplicity works out best. If you if you saw what I said about Final Fantasy 4, why I like that the most, sometimes simplicity wins. And just going through eight levels from start to finish and beating up bad guys with no plot and just over-the-top goofy characters while being essentially everything you remember people thought the 90s looked like, man, I just, I don't think, I don't think I could think of a better game. So what I'm hearing is that if I would play that, I would play as Skate because he's like the analog to Raphael. That's what that sounds like to me. Yes, but he's he's extremely weak and his moves are a little bit more tough to pull off. I think mm. you'd like Blaze. I like to I I normally like to go with Blaze. Okay. I think you'd be a Blaze guy. All right. Blaze or Axel. Okay. All right. I'll have to I'll have to try that out. So actually your your commentary at the end there is a perfect segue, and I'm just gonna assume you did that on purpose because we're professionals like that. Of course. My number one pick, one of the reasons that I that I chose it as my number one, also happens to be uh the the simplicity of it and that is the og diablo and a lot of people probably are thinking but shane why not diablo 2 everyone likes diablo 2 better than the first diablo and i would say no not necessarily (laughs) now do do i like diablo 2 hell yes uh, actually I went back and f- this was the one that I struggled with the most on this list. I went back and forth between making my number one, two, uh, or one, and I had to stick with the original. And part of the reason is because it is a simpler, straightforward experience. If there is one game that I go back to, and this is not hyperbole, at least once a year, and, and it might only be for maybe a day. Maybe I only play for a couple hours uh, or it could be for a few weeks or I'll play through the whole damn game again. It's it's Diablo. And the reason for that is because much like Doom, it is very easy to just pick up and play. Now, are there some character customizations that you can make? Sure, of course. Uh, generally speaking, you know, given that there's only three character classes, because we're not talking about the Hellfire expansion, because that one was kind of shaky. Um, it's also made by Sierra, and even though it was officially licensed, it wasn't super great. But there's only three character classes at the core of the game, and you kind of know how you're going to build each of the three, unless you want to do some like weird off off color build, which you totally can do, by the way. Um, but for the most part your stats and everything, you kind of know what you're going to do. And so there are no skill trees or anything like in Diablo 2. And I know, I know a bunch of people are always like, but that's what makes it go so good because there's all this customization and stuff. I have news for you. That is an illusion of choice. And there's a reason that there are a lot of fan-made things out there for Diablo 2, one of which that I play, Path of Diablo. That's the thing that if I go back and play Diablo 2 now, that is what I will play. And the reason for that is because they've done fairly extensive modifications to every one of the character skill trees in that game to better balance them out and make some skills that were just total dog shit 
in original D2 and the LOD expansion be actually viable. And so there's a lot of complexity that goes into D2 that certainly has its place, and I enjoy it for what it is. But Diablo, if you want like the distilled essence of an action RPG, this is the thing to go to. You have four different areas. You have one town. Everything takes place in the town of Tristram, and that is it. You have a small cast of characters from the the, the villagers and Deckard Kane, and then everything is self-contained within 16 levels of randomly generated dungeon split across four different zones, and that is it. And to me, that is like the perfect action RPG experience because it is not trying to be fucking Path of Exile where you have about 8 billion skills to choose from and you have to look up a walkthrough before you even roll up a character. It knows what it is, but it gives you enough variability in the randomly generated levels as well as the you know randomly generated loot that drops. And there is plenty of loot even in, even in the first Diablo to satisfy that you know primal need to just collect all the shinies. Uh, which I definitely have. And so for me, that's why it's my number one, and that's why it beat out Diablo 2. I didn't put Diablo 2 in my honorable mentions because I knew I was going to talk about it here anyway. Um, the, the last thing I will say about the original Diablo is I really do believe that this is one of the reasons that I have such an affinity for dark fantasy sort of worlds uh, is because of what, they built in the original Diablo in the town of Tristram and the the dilapidated cathedral and then the backstory. There is so much lore about this game that exists in the instruction manual <laughs> that is not necessary to play the game, unlike some other games that we've talked about. But Black Belt. Exactly. But it's there. And again, this is a relic of a time past because I don't know if anybody would fucking do this now. Maybe. Not that instruction books are a thing anymore anyway, but I still own, I still have my original Diablo instruction booklet. And that thing is like creased and worn at the edges because of how many times I just read the damn instruction manual because of the the in-universe lore that they included in that book. And I really, really honestly believe that this is the thing that really got me into that dark fantasy kind of stuff. It's also part of why I ended up liking Dark Souls so much, which as a related but slightly tangential thing, I thought about the other day, somebody mentioned this and I just realized that if this game were to ever be made, I could probably die happy. But Blizzard, please just make a, a Diablo game, but in the style of Dark Souls and I, I, will, be, I will be a happy man. That's, that's all I need. Please and put thank it on you. mobile phone. You, no, please, please don't, don't, what? don't do that to Why? me. Do you have phones? You have phones, don't you? I, I, I but I do, but, but no, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't want that. <laughs> Just some quick things about Diablo. One, I agree with you. I, I, I'm, and it's one of those things that goes ties into Final Fantasy IV. Like, why do I like Final Fantasy more than Final Fantasy X? Is because Final Fantasy X might be the better one, but I just like. Final Fantasy 4 more is the same way as Diablo and Diablo 2. I'm 100% with you on that. And you're right. Uh, simplicity. It's just, it's there. And that's, I think that's something, as I've alluded to earlier, it's just something you appreciate more as you get older, going back to these games, just playing games in general, especially when you're going to go back and play a video game. 
absolutely uh, an older one so i can definitely understand where you're coming from man and and also uh i never thought i would say this but having played it recently especially with some of the quality of life improvements that they made i i think i actually like the playstation version better that's sacrilege i know i know i know I think all the and we have a we have quite a few people who listen to this podcast who are more PC guys. I think they just threw their phones down in disgust. Yeah, well, now they can't play the new Diablo game. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, but legit, though, like there are some actual really good improvements that were made in the PlayStation version that made me think like, fuck, why was this not in the original? Like just being able to walk faster in town is such a small thing but such a huge quality of life improvement. And, and the fact that they were able to port a point and click ARPG over to the PlayStation and have the UI work as well as it does. It's it's honestly, I was impressed by it. Like going forward, especially now that I've got all of my <clears throat> totally legal games in a conveniently packaged handheld device, I may just end up getting my Diablo one fix from the the PlayStation version going forward. And nice. I know it's sacrilege, but now I know what to get for you for your birthday. A place, the best, a PlayStation? Your, the number one, number one retro game of all time. According to Shane is Diablo for the PlayStation. <laughs> <one>. <laughs> yep. That's it. <laughs> all right. So that's our list. I'm, I'm sure you have yours. Uh, if you come to our discord bit.ly slash rhp chat that's right you can tell us what your top five retro games are thank you again orden for providing this topic that uh orden pretty much I and think or randall know. i don't know shit randall depends yeah. yeah he used to he is he is the artist formerly known as orden okay yes so thank you randall randall orden we really do appreciate it this was the first one voted on almost universally agreed upon thank you for the topic uh just a little bit of a disclaimer if you ask us for this topic again next year that could be a completely totally different list it could probably change within the next three months just because man my my nostalgia just ebbs and flows depending on what game it is mm. there's a lot of games as shane said that could have easily been in my top five that were in the honorable mentions and i would have a completely different opinion and stand by that in like three months so yeah this is a <laughs> tough 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 list to make and narrow down and justify definitely but i had a really good time with this episode so shane yes what do you what are we plugging before we get out of here uh yeah so you already mentioned the discord so you got that one covered um if you would like to suggest a topic for a future episode or at least be able to vote on said topics once a quarter uh, in our patron polls, then you could consider becoming a patron of the show. And you can do that by heading to, I laugh every time I say this now, gorpfans.com. Thank you to our existing patrons for convincing me to register this silly domain. That's G-O-R-P-F-A-N-S dot com. And if you're wondering, what is that? Well, Gorp is our uh, our wonderful mascot dragon, the the eggplant dragon, mm-hmm. as it were, and uh, so you can go there and uh, check out the the Patreon tiers and choose one that so fits you, and we would be of course forever grateful. We do have the merch store uh, that is always open. You can go grab yourself a t shirt or a mug or a bumper sticker or a cool trucker hat, uh, and you can do that by going to bit.ly slash rhp merch. And uh, what else we got? I don't know. You usually talk about the Twitch stream. You want to talk about the Twitch stream? 
Yeah, sure. So first of all, before I get to that, we're on all the social medias. Just type in Retro Hangover. Well, the major ones, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We're there. Uh, also, our Twitch streams on Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. That's the time that we are in in Florida. You can find us on twitch.tv slash Retro Hangover. We start around 9-ish, uh, sometimes a little early, usually a little late. But we'll be there playing your retro, typically retro game themed of the week that uh, is in relation to our episode. Sometimes we go off the beaten path. It's just kind of hard to get to. But in any case, uh, yeah, come and join us. We love people that come into the conversations. Uh, it makes everything more interesting, especially with the group of the, the group of characters we got that we love. It just makes it a lot more fun. And we do appreciate the people who are there. But if you're not there, come and join us. And you can also find us on YouTube if you happen to miss us. Uh, just look up Retro Hangover on YouTube, and you can find our videos on demand from our Sunday streams. And we would have, we would always appreciate any interactions there. Like, comment, subscribe, smash that like button and subscribe button. Ring that and, bell. Yeah, because sometimes people don't get notifications because you know no one subscribed to us, so you're not <laughs> you wouldn't know if we posted a video. Oh, but in any case, uh, that's all I got that on that made topic. Me sad. All right, yeah, I know. Well, uh, with all of that being said. Until next time, make your joysticks rosy. Shane here with a quick message. You know, the one rule Chris and I have always gone by regarding advertisements is this. It has to be something we use and can personally vouch for. If you know me, you know I love coffee. And Bones Coffee Company has been my go-to for home brewing for quite some time now. Their small batch beans come in an impressive variety of flavors like Mint Invaders from Chocolate Space or Electric Unicorn, which I swear tastes exactly like Fruity Pebbles. And the best part? No added sugar or calories involved, just natural flavors infused right into the beans themselves. Build your own sample pack of five four-ounce bags to find out which flavors speak to you, or jump in headfirst with full 12-ounce bags. They've even got K-Cups. Step up your homebrew game with Bones Coffee by visiting bit.ly slash RHP Bones. That's B-I-T dot L-Y slash R-H-P-B-O-N-E-S.